Hey guys, and welcome to episode one of Principles and Party Podcast. My name is Brady Smith, and before I continue, I just want to say, if you haven't listened to episode zero, that kind of gives you a rough background of who I am. I advise you to listen to that first before going into this episode. So, today is the first day of the Biden administration. I am recording this hours after Joe Biden, our 46th president, has taken his oath of office. Now, as of right now, I don't know what our president has done in policy, but I decided instead of dedicating the very first episode, which I hope uh, will be my worst episode in terms of that uh, I will improve drastically from, from here on out, I decided to dedicate this episode and explain exactly how we got to this point. How did we end up with our current president, Joe Biden. Because it's an interesting story. I'm sure I don't need to tell anyone who's listening to this that the American political climate right now is very, very, very toxic in that people are very, very heated. People are pointing fingers at each other constantly. No one wants to seem to get along with the other side and tensions are just running really high in general. So how on earth did we get here? How did we get from you know a a peaceful era where people could transfer power, we could have an election, and, you know, if your guy lost, you kind of, you know, waved your head back and forth and, you know, pouted for a good couple minutes, but you got over it, to the last couple years where people refused to acknowledge elections and and there's so much chaos and division going on in the country. Because I think it's an important story, and it's important to understand exactly how we got here. So I want to take you guys back. I want to take you back to the year 2012 because that's where I think this whole modern day politic as we see it today began. I believe it started in 2012, the election of 2012. So as we all remember, that was the year Barack Obama was going up against Mitt Romney for the presidency. So we'd had four years of Obama and in 2008, it wasn't really a surprise that President Obama won. He was the first African-American president, or at least he was projected to be. He had just beaten Hillary Clinton, who was insanely popular. And frankly, John McCain wasn't that great of a candidate. He's a great man, just wasn't a great presidential candidate. So all the odds were in favor of Barack Obama winning. So 2008 rolls around, okay, he wins, no big deal. However, 2012 rolls around and something very different happens. We had seen four years of an Obama presidency, and the Obama years weren't all that great. A lot of legislation had passed that Americans weren't really excited about, Obamacare being one of them. The president had signed a bunch of executive orders, again, that weren't very popular with the American people. He was doing some things like throwing some prisoner, or sorry, throwing some journalists in jail, which again, wasn't necessarily illegal, but wasn't very popular and certainly didn't make him look good. And the economy was growing, but at a very, very, very slow pace, pretty much at a crawl. So with all these factors put together, oh, and uh, I almost forgot, and we had an air war in Libya. So, you know, there was that. And uh, we sent troops to Syria. So a bunch of fun, fun little ditties that were going on simultaneously. Uh, We, you know, we had an embassy burn uh, in Benghazi in 2012, a few months prior to the election. And of course, we had the rise well, the soon-to-be rise of ISIS in the ashes of al-Qaeda and the other uh, various terrorist groups over in the Middle East. So it was a kind of a surprise uh, when 2012 rolled around 
and Barack Obama seemed to have this huge lead. Now, Mitt Romney, again, was not a great candidate, but he was definitely better than McCain. He was definitely promising a change from the current Obama years, and he was gaining in the polls right before Election Day. But something interesting happened. President Obama won a second term. So how did he do it? How did President Obama do it, despite all the odds, despite his bad policy, despite everything? Well, he did it by calling his opponents racist. I'm not even serious. That's how he did it. He called his opponents racist. He called his opponents sexist. He called his opponents homophobic. He called his opponents xenophobic. He called his opponents every bad name under the sun. And now it wasn't just because, you know, you disagreed with his policies. No, that couldn't be it. It's because you're a racist. That's why you don't like Barack Obama's policies is because you're racist. And that's what he did. The entire 2012 election cycle was he painted Mitt Romney as a racist, or at least he tried to. Uh, you had the now President Biden uh, claiming that he was going to, he being Mitt Romney, was going to put black people back in chains. So he would call his opponents racist. That plus the aid of the mainstream media, which granted isn't a surprise. Everyone knows that's a Democratic outlet. They are not an objective source, despite what you might think and despite what they might say. They are not objective, but that's a topic for another time. So you had the media promoting President Obama's narrative that all Republicans are racist. We're racist. We're sexist. Not, it's not because we don't like President Obama's policy. No, it's because we think we're race. We're racist against him. We hate black people. That's why we're not supporting his policies. And he got away with it, with President Obama's numbers, including you know economic growth, jobs, all that stuff. With his numbers, he should not have been reelected. His record was terrible, but he got reelected because he was able to scare half of America. Because America has enough sense. America has enough decency that they're not going to vote for someone who they genuinely think is a racist, because we're decent folk. And we want to uh, get rid of all the racists in our society. And we certainly don't want to vote for him, if nothing else, because we, we don't want to be deemed as racist ourselves. But because we also have enough decency that we don't want racists to prosper in this country because all men are created equal. So President Obama was really, really good at painting his opponents as racist. And the Republican Party has some fault in this, too, because the Republican Party, especially in 2012, was a party of nice guys. You know, we, we kind of sat there and we took it. You know, when the Democrats called Republicans racists, we took it and we kind of folded and we we tried to appease the Democrats. We tried to appease their standard. We tried to play by their rules, even though they wouldn't play by their own rules. But but we had to play by their rules because we didn't want to look like racist. We didn't want to look like sexist. We didn't want to look like homophobes and we didn't punch back hard enough. So we had a Republican Party that was way too willing to fold, to bend to the Democrats' claims. And the Democrats would make claims about Republicans that weren't true at all. And therefore, President Obama won a second term through calling the country racist. But here's the problem when you, at the very least, are calling half of the country racist. Because a lot of people vote for the Republican Party. But remember, remember if you vote for the Republicans, it's because you're a racist. Not because you don't like the policies of Barack Obama and the Democrats. It's because you're a racist. So when you call half the country a racist, that tends to divide the country. Because a lot of the people who voted for Republicans don't think they're racist, and they're not racist. But when you're getting called a racist, all right, that hurts. All right, that, that leaves some, some wounds, at least some, some bad feelings, some ill will, if, <laughs> if you will. Being called a racist you know, isn't exactly the most unifying statement on planet Earth. So 
With this, Barack Obama continues for his next four years from 2012 on and just continues to call America racist. You know, there's some riots in Ferguson. There are some riots in Baltimore. And he continues to vilify the police and basically blame the whole incident on racism, on American racism, on fundamental American racism. Not just that there's, you know, one racist cop potentially shooting one armed black man. No, it's because the whole system is racist. The police force is racist. The country is racist. And therefore, that is why the shooting happened. That is why Freddie Gray in Baltimore died. Because the police system is fundamentally racist. Because America is fundamentally racist. So we get four more years of this. We get four more years of President Obama basically blaming all the problems on American racism and calling Republicans racist for not agreeing with him. And that tends to leave, like I said, some some ill will on behalf of the Republicans. And the Republicans are scratching their heads right now, wondering, okay, it, we understand why we lost 2008. Barack Obama was an unstoppable force in 2008. It was the inevitable outcome. Okay. But in 2012, we had a bad record to back our candidate. We could look at President Obama's policies and say, look, his policies are bad for this country. Look at our guy. He can change it. He can make America better. And look, he's so nice. He's a nice guy. Look, he's so civil. He's got class. But he lost. And so Republicans are scratching their heads right now or back then. And they're going, okay, so clearly a decent you know, or a bad record on behalf of their guy isn't enough. Clearly a nice guy on our side isn't enough. And we're just getting called racist. So what tends to happen in the minds of at least the average voter is four more years of being called racist, four years of reading articles about how men are sexist for using air conditioning or how eating string cheese is sexist. I'm not kidding. Those are actual articles that exist. And America gets fed up with it. They have four more years of being called racist, four more years of being called sexist, four years of being called homophobic. And clearly the nice guy isn't going to win anything. So then rolls around 2016. In 2016, America is fed up with President Obama, and they know the nice guy ain't going to win. So who's the loudest man in the room? Well, we all know the answer to this. It's President Donald Trump, or then Mr. Trump. He's definitely the loudest guy in the room, and he is definitely talking about shaking up the establishment. You know, we're going to build a wall. We're going to make Mexico pay for it, saying all these things that I thought was completely ridiculous at the time, and frankly he was saying things that uh, I didn't even know if I supported 100%, but he was the loudest guy in the room. And you could definitely tell that he was going to shake some heads. He was going to go in there and he was going to knock the crap out of the establishment. Because remember, most of the voter base right now, they're not happy with the Republicans because they kept electing nice guys that get trashed by Democratic opposition. And they're not happy with the Democrats either because the Democrats are calling him racist, sexist, bigot, homophobe. So with America being dissatisfied with both the major political parties, what do they do? They turn to the outsider. They turn to the loudest voice in the room. They turn to the guy who they think will deliver the biggest punch to all the things that they currently despise. They don't like being called racist. They don't like being called sexist. The nice guy ain't going to cut it. So let's bring a guy in there who will just knock the teeth right off. And that's what they did. They voted in. For the primary, beating a bunch of great, great Republican candidates, in my opinion, he got the nomination for the Republican Party and ultimately won the election in 2016. Now, there's there's definitely several reasons as to, to why he won, not just 
Barack Obama, although he was a big influence. But they didn't like Hillary Clinton. No one liked Hillary Clinton. Look at the voting numbers. No one showed up to vote for Hillary Clinton, which is one of the reasons why President Trump won. But America was mostly fed up with Barack Obama and his agenda. They were tired of being labeled racist because of a couple of incidents that they had nothing to do with, by the way. The whole country was getting called racist by Barack Obama, so they were fed up with this. So they wanted a guy who could punch back to give a giant middle finger to the last eight years of the Obama administration, and that was Donald Trump. So 2016 rolls around. Trump beats all the odds. Trump becomes the next president of the United States in direct conflict with Obama's agenda. And it's he's a giant middle finger to the Obama agenda. And, and this causes a, a swing of the pendulum because America is in a constant swinging of a, of a pendulum, so to speak, in terms of you know voting for the left and then voting for the right. And it seems that with each new election cycle, especially starting with 2012, the swings get more violent. So with each new cycle, America goes further to the right and then further to the left every single time, which I know is a physics impossibility, but politics is not physics. So 2016 rolls around, Hillary Clinton loses, President Trump wins, and then it's the Democrats' turn for a head spin because they thought, starting with Barack Obama and especially highlighting this in 2012, they got this false sense of security because they knew in 2012 that their guy was in trouble, that President Obama was in trouble. They knew his record wasn't super great. They knew Mitt Romney was in a great position, at least, to take the presidency from him. But President Obama won. So they got this false sense of security in their head that they're never going to lose another election. The culture is finally ready for our, our agenda that gets ever more radical. We're never going to lose. President Obama built this minority coalition of African Americans, LGBT, Latinos, all these minority groups, and they're forever in the Democratic Party, and we're never going to lose another election, so we can do what we want. And 2016 shattered that agenda wholesale, wholesale. It, it rocked their their worlds, basically. And they they still, if you ask me, they still haven't recovered from it. They're still wondering how, how that was a fluke. So Democrats are shattered. Their hopes are shattered. And naturally, you know, a normal person would just say, okay, we lost. We need to change something. But no, no, no. That's not what they did. That's not what the Democrats did. They immediately went to the thought of, okay, well, we have this unstoppable coalition, this a thousand year rule of democratic policies started via Barack Obama. So something must have happened. Something must, there must have been some fraud or some cheating or some Russian interference. But uh, that in a moment, for whatever the reasoning, it couldn't have been our fault. It couldn't have, our policies are golden. I mean, they, they won us eight years of Barack Obama. So clearly it's not our policies. Of course, again, you can't think of it like a normal person. A normal person would think, okay, we messed up. We need to change something. But the Democrats, no, 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 no. Our policy is golden. So something it, something else must have happened. It must have been some, some cheating, some fraud. So a couple things happened because of this election. The first thing to be noted is with the mainstream media. The mainstream media lost it. These past four years, from 2016 to 2020, I have never seen a more partisan mainstream media claiming to be objective because they're not objective. And it all started with the night of the 2016 election because Donald Trump 
won the night in 2016, and the media couldn't believe it. And frankly, they still can't believe it. They thought that their hold on the American people was absolute and unbreakable because they had been pushing for several months. Donald Trump is a racist. Donald Trump is a sexist. Donald Trump this. Donald Trump that. He's evil, orange man, evil, orange Hitler. I can't tell you how many times they called him Hitler. Goodness gracious. That's that's their new favorite word is Hitler because everything is Hitler that the Democrats and the mainstream media disagree with. But they had been pushing Donald Trump bad for several months now. And America just voted in complete opposition to what the mainstream media wanted. So maybe the domina- domination over the American household that the media thought they had, they don't, they didn't have anymore. And that scared them because they wanted control. They want to be the voice that persuades America to do what they will. So with 2016, the media got scared. They realized that their hold on America wasn't as secure as they thought. You know, they, they weren't as effective as they thought they were. So that scared them. So they decided, again, instead of like rational human beings actually trying to see what they did wrong and maybe realizing that they weren't objective enough, that America was kind of sick and tired of them clearly playing favorites while they claimed that they weren't playing favorites. No, no, no. They just decided to get more radical because they were hurt. They were insulted that Donald Trump got elected despite their best attempt to stop him. So there was that. You had the media militarizing for four years because they were angry and they wanted revenge. They were mad that they lost in 2016, that their candidate lost in 2016. So they spent the next four years with the goal of basically trying to trip up and hurt and harm and slow down President Trump in any way they could because they were mad. So that was the first thing that happened. The second thing that happened was the Democratic establishment, the Democratic politicians absolutely lost their mind too. Just really every Democrat lost their mind. The mainstream media lost their mind and the Democratic politicians lost their mind. And again, rational people would think, okay, we clearly did something wrong here. Maybe America doesn't want these radical policies. Maybe they want a more centrist approach. Maybe we should stop calling half the country racist. So what did the Democrats do? No, they didn't do any of that. That would make sense. And we can't have that. What they did is they're like, no, We need to be more radical. We need to double down on our radicalness because America wants us to be more radical. That's what we did wrong. We need to be more radical. Let's take everything and ramp it up to 11. You know, first it was, let's have uh, some, some no, no girls and no boys bathroom. We'll have the the ladies walking into the men's room and the men walking into the ladies room. Let's just ramp that up to 12 because that's what America wants. They want radicalism. So they did that. They they ramped themselves up to 11, just like the mainstream media, because, again, everyone loves the Democratic policies. It got us eight years of Barack Obama. So clearly, we weren't radical enough. So that's what we need to do. We need to be more radical. So we have a more radical media that's kind of butthurt that they lost in 2016 because they wanted to show that they were the dominant drive in American life, that they could persuade the public to do what they want, and they couldn't. And then there was the Democratic politicians that were upset that their candidate lost because, again, thousand-year reign of Barack Obama. So they decided to double down themselves on their radical policies. And then a third thing happened. And that third thing was that the Democrats needed a scapegoat because, again, both the media and the Democratic politicians think, oh, it can't be our policies. So so what was it? How do, how do we lose this? How do we oh, – Russia. It was Russia. Clearly it was them. The Russians interfered with our election. What did they base this on? Absolutely nothing. They had no evidence to back it. They were just like, oh, our policies suck. Uh, it's the Russians' fault. It's, it's the Russians' fault. 
And America didn't take too kindly to this because they see a fair election of which Donald Trump won. And they're like, wait, 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 wait. So now you're going to call our election illegitimate based on no evidence, but just because you don't like Donald Trump. And we all know you don't like Donald Trump, but you're basing this on nothing. And this is the me- this is the narrative the media peddled for three years, and the Democrats peddled for three and a half years, basically right up until the 2020 election. Russian collusion, Russian collusion, Russian collusion. They stole the election, stole the election, stole the election for three and a half straight years. And then finally, a report came out on it, and oopsies, there's no Russian collusion. But see, that's the beautiful thing about Democrats, is they never, ever, 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 ever admit when they're wrong. They just double down on it twice as hard. So we lost the 2016 election. Up, oh, we weren't radical enough. Let's double down on it. Oh, uh, we lost the election. Um, well, it can't be our fault. <gasps> Russian. It's Russian collusion. Let's double down on it. Even after the report came out, oh, you know, we got to be careful of Russian collusion because it stole the 2016 election based on nothing. Hillary Clinton, basically up until Biden won on election day, she was claiming that she was robbed of the election because she got more votes than Donald Trump. Well, newsflash, lady, that's not how our system works. We have this thing called the Electoral College, not a popular vote. You have to win the presidency by winning the Electoral College, not the popular vote. But that doesn't matter because Democrats are in their little fantasy land in which that they can never lose an election. It must be some outside force, and that's the reason they lost. And America didn't take too kindly to that because a lot of Americans voted for Trump in 2016. And this fact that they're trying to delegitimize an election based on no evidence but they're screaming to the moon about Russian collusion, America doesn't take too kindly to that. And we get four years of this. We get four years of media hostility toward a president that a lot of Americans voted for, and America doesn't like that. They don't like it when they treat the guy that you vote for with such hostility. And it was only hostility. It was four years of hostility. It was something like 95% negative news coverage of the president from the mainstream outlets. And then three and a half years of, well, it's Russian collusion, that's why he's present, and just so much hostility coming from the Democratic Party. And it just ramped up. Every single year, the hostility, the hatred coming from the Democratic Party, coming from the mainstream media against President Trump just seemed to intensify more and more and more and more. And it doesn't help that President Trump isn't exactly the most unifying figure. Again, he was elected because he knows how to knock some heads. He knows how to throw a bomb into the room and disrupt the entire establishment. And that was something that Republicans didn't really count on, is that yes, Donald Trump was a bomb. But the problem with bombs is that it not only blows up the thing that you want to blow up, but usually it hits other things in the process. And that's exactly what happened with Donald Trump. Yes, he threw a monkey wrench in the establishment. Yes, he shook up a lot of things. Yes, he punched the Democrats. Yes, we loved seeing it. It was a glorious day. He took on the mainstream media. He took on the Democratic establishment. He won a bunch of times, but he also did a ton of damage to his own party in the process. So that brings us to 2020. We have an angry media who is upset that they lost in 2016 and has mobilized against the president. We have a Democratic establishment who is also mobilized against the president because they too are mad that they lost in 2016. And we have a Republican president who is not exactly the pinnacle of class. And yes, while he does punch the opponents and he punches them really hard, he also punches a few of his own supporters in the process from time to time. So 
all the factors have come together and we are now at 2020. Just this perfect chemical concoction of political, uh, well, political turmoil has now brewed and we are ready for 2020. And there's one more factor that we have to get to before we get to the actual general election of 2020. And that is the Democratic primary of 2020. Now remember, back earlier in, in the year 2020, there was a Democratic primary. Everyone knew who the Republican nominee was going to be. It was going to be Donald Trump because he was the current president. But the Democratic primary uh, candidate was unknown at that time. You had people like Elizabeth Warren, the senator from Massachusetts. You had Bernie Sanders, the senator from Vermont. You had Pete Buttigieg, the mayor of South Bend, Indiana. You had obviously Joe Biden, you know, the senator from Delaware, former VP. And something interesting happened in that as well. Bernie Sanders, who is very, very, very radical, he's a communist. The man actually honeymooned in the Soviet Union, like the one that Stalin was in charge of, that that Soviet Union. Well, he's not that old, but you get the idea. The actual Soviet Union. And he was gaining a lot of momentum. He finished very well in Iowa. He didn't win, but he did really well in Iowa. He won New Hampshire and that put Joe Biden into a bit of a dilemma. Joe Biden was the front runner. Bernie Sanders was right behind him. He was number two. And the Democratic establishment and all the other Democratic candidates had a choice to make. Do they pick Bernie Sanders, who is basically a communist and probably too radical for America as a whole? He might not be radical for the Democratic base, but he's certainly too radical for the Republicans. And he's probably too radical for the moderates as well, a.k.a. we can't win with Bernie Sanders. But that leaves one alternative. The only person who had enough traction at that point was Joe Biden. And Joe Biden could barely string a sentence together. His debates proved that. The man was studying, he was not forming good sentences. Now I'm sounding like him. The man could barely talk straight. So who do the Democrats choose? Do they choose the stuttering old career politician? Or do they choose the very enthusiastic yet completely radical commie senator from Vermont. Well, they went with Joe Biden because he was kind of the lesser of two evils and had the better chance of winning. So almost simultaneously, every other Democratic candidate dropped out and endorsed Joe Biden. So it was pretty obvious who was going to win at that point. So that brings us to the general election. Now the Democrats, who have been forced into a corner via their primary, have nominated the duttering old barely knows where he is, senator from Vermont, or sorry, former senator from Delaware, against a very enthusiastic, hard-hitting, but kind of classless president. So the stars have aligned for this Rumble in the Jungle match, and we are now in November of 2020. It is now election time in 2020. We are gearing up between Joe Biden and Donald Trump. We have a fully militarized media, a fully militarized Democratic establishment, and now it's almost Election Day. So there's a few things I want to note before Election Day. So from 2016 to 2020, the media has been going off on the president. They've had four years at this point of domination in terms of American households. So they've had four years to pump negative propaganda into the minds of most Americans because most Americans don't do their own research in politics. They look at the, the TV monitors and airports, which is all CNN, and they look at the mainstream media. The mainstream media is very, very, very Democratic-leaning. So when that's all they get for four years, how do you think they're going to vote? How do you think they're going to think about the current president? 
Well, they're not going to like him very much because the media doesn't like him. All the other news comes from these these outlets. So America's going to repeat what the media is telling them because they're getting this constant, constant bombardment of negative opinions, of negative feedback, of negative coverage from the media, and it's just constant. And it's just barraging Americans day in and day out. Again, 95% negative coverage of President Trump. That's a lot. And it doesn't sound very uh, objective, by the way. But anyway, the media's had four years of just pumping propaganda into the heads of average Americans. So there's that factor. And then on the other side, there's President Trump, who keeps shooting himself in the foot. I don't even think I need to go into this too much because most of you have some sort of social media and know that his tweets did not help him at all. His tweets were terrible. The man didn't have a lot of class. So we have a mix of a propaganda outlet on the left and a self-destructive figure on the right. So all of that comes together. And then there's one little factor that I would like to mention. Actually, two little factors i like to mention. The first is, is that the media's impact and Donald Trump's self-destructive nature is taking a toll on the American populace. They're slowly realizing, eh, you know, maybe we we don't like this guy. Maybe we shouldn't vote again for President Trump. You know, 2016 was different. We were tired of Obama, but we've had four years of this guy and we don't like what we see. The media, you know, is saying all these evil things about him. And of course the media can't be wrong. They're the media. So you have that. And then there's this gut feeling from most Americans seeing President Trump's Twitter feed and saying, I just can't bring myself to vote for this guy. I just don't think I can do it. I don't really like Joe Biden, but I don't like Donald Trump. I, I dislike him more than I dislike Joe Biden. You know, and Joe Biden, he seems calm, he seems collected, he seems more classy. So maybe I'll I'll vote for him, or at the very least, I won't come out and vote for Donald Trump. And that was the not the general consensus, but enough Americans bought into that 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 ultimately would come back to bite him. And there are two states that are also interesting to look at that that kind of show the trend of what I'm talking about. And those states are Arizona and those states are Georgia. Arizona probably being the easiest to describe in that very early on, President Trump made a comment about the late Senator John McCain from Arizona. Basically, for those of you who don't know, the former Senator McCain was uh, a, a Vietnam veteran. He was captured, and his dad was really high in the Army. And basically, when the Viet Cong found out who his dad was, they're like, we can let you go. But John McCain said, no, I'm not leaving unless you release everyone who's prisoner with me. And of course, the Viet Cong said no, and he stayed a prisoner. So Donald Trump basically said he didn't like the, the the soldiers that were captured. He preferred the ones who weren't captured. And that didn't resonate well with the state of Arizona, because the state of Arizona loves John McCain. And you can see that in the elections. In 2016, they were solid red. In 2018, they voted in a Democratic senator. And in 2020, they voted in yet another Democratic senator. Arizona went from being a completely red state to a fairly solid blue state in about four years, the entire term of Donald Trump's presidency. Georgia's the same way. They started out with two Republican senators and a Republican governor and voting for Donald Trump. And then in 2020, they voted in two Democratic senators and they voted for Joe Biden. Now, more on on Georgia in a bit because that... uh, there's a little bit more to explain with that, but just to kind of show you this this whole nature of how divisive President Trump was. So all that comes together, that's the first thing, is that Americans aren't super fond of Donald Trump anymore. 
some of them are more fond because they don't like what they see in Joe Biden, but a lot of them can't bring themselves to vote for for uh, the president. They can't bring themselves to vote for Donald Trump. And there's one little factor that also came into the mix was what we call an October surprise. This is when a bombshell of a story about one of the major political candidates comes out in October, which is the weeks before election day. And it has the potential to change a lot of voters on sort of a last minute basis. And that was a story about Joe Biden's son, Hunter Biden. Long story short, he was accused of doing some corrupt dealings with overseas countries. And needless to say, it could have changed some minds had the story come out. But the story didn't come out because the mainstream media, along with the tech giants, decide to block it because they learned their lesson from 2016. They dropped an October surprise on Hillary Clinton with her emails in the weeks leading up to the election. And, uh-oh, Hillary Clinton lost. So now it's 2020, and they're facing deja vu. And the media is thinking, oh, well, our last October surprise cost our candidate the race. So we're going to we're gonna hush-hush. We're not going to talk about that. Be quiet. So they don't break the story. And if they take a step further than that, they decide to block anyone who is going to post the story. So the New York Post, we're going to cut that because they're trying to post about Hunter Biden. Joe Biden's our guy, so we can't have anything bad about the Biden family coming out. So they take that further step. And this angers the living daylights out of the Republicans and a lot of Americans because they see this as a direct attempt by our objective media to censor people on the right. And they don't take too kindly to that, and nor should they because – Censorship is not a good thing. That is what the bad countries do. That is what China does to its citizens. That is not what America does to its citizens. No, 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 no. So now it's the 2020 election. And after a week of uncertainty and slow results and mail-ins, Joe Biden is declared the winner. And that in and of itself wasn't the straw that broke the camel's back. No. It was how the media responded to Joe Biden's win. Because if you remember at that time, there were a lot of affidavits being signed, and there was some uncertainty, and the Republicans were like, okay, well, let's let's see where this leads. Let's see where all these affidavits go. And the Democrats said, no, 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 we don't, we don't need to worry about that. Election's over automatically. Joe Biden's the winner. We don't need to investigate. This election was so clean, so pure. We don't have to worry about it. And the Republicans went, wait a minute. You're going to lecture us? You're going to lecture us? On election integrity, you, the party who spent four years claiming that our guy wasn't the actual president of the United States because, you know, Russia had something to do with it, which they didn't. You spent four years lecturing to us that the Russians stole this election based on nothing and then proven to be nothing. You're going to tell us about election integrity. And that broke, that was the straw that broke the camel's back for the Republicans because for the past four years, the Democrats and the Democratic Party had been rioting, had been claiming hashtag not my president, had been mobilizing against Donald Trump. So the left was already ready to rumble. And that little comment by the media that, no, this election's pure, after lecturing Republicans for four solid years that the election of 2016 was stolen by the Russians, well, the Republicans had finally had enough. And they said, well, you know what? F you, giant middle finger to you. Let's rumble. Let's go. So the more the media would say, well, no, this election is clean. This election is pure. The more the right said, well, we don't believe you. We don't believe you 
the party, the media outlets that told us for four years that there was Russian collusion when there was none, for two years who claimed that Stacey Abrams, the gubernatorial candidate in the 2018 Georgia governor's race, um, who lost by 50,000 votes to the Republican, uh, was they claimed that she had won the election even though she had lost by 50,000 votes, and they praised her when she was fighting back their election results. But no, it's bad when Donald Trump does it. It's only good when Democrats do it. And Republicans had finally had enough. Four years, and arguably I would say 12 years, of being called a racist, sexist, bigot, homophobe, being lectured by the very people who were lecturing them about how an election was stolen from them. I know it's kind of a tongue twister. The Republicans are like, no, we're not going to listen to you. We don't care. We're tired of you calling us racist and sexist. We're tired of four years of you saying that this election was stolen. And now all of a sudden that your guy won, it's it's such a pure election. And even in the weeks before that, the Democrats were saying, oh, there's going to be some voter suppression. Guarantee it. There's going to be voter suppression. And then the minute Joe Biden wins. They're like, oh, no voter suppression. We're fine. You know, all those things that we said five minutes ago. Nah, nah, no, there wasn't any voter suppression. It was so clean, so pure, best election ever. No problems whatsoever. And their opponents are like, well, well, hang on a minute. Maybe there is, maybe there isn't. But there's a lot of sketchy stuff going on in Michigan right now. There's a lot of sketchy stuff going on in Georgia right now. And you won't even acknowledge that there's sketchy stuff going on? No, no, no. We're not going to listen to that. So the right kind of did what the left did in 2016. They kind of snapped, and they kind of finally said, okay, this geriatric old fool beat our guy who up until before COVID, we had a great economy, we had a strong military, and you're telling us that this guy who can't even barely string a sentence together that wants to fundamentally change the country, you're telling us that he won the election? Yeah, right. No way. So they kind of pulled a Democrat the 2016 Democrat, the Republicans did in this election. And that has created the perfect environment, which we now know today, which I believe at least played a small part in the Capitol riots and various other incidences like that, is now you have a left who for four years is just angry at the right. They're angry at President Trump. They're angry at the right. They are evil. The right is evil. And then in 2020, the right got tired of that, and they finally, something in their head went off pretty much almost identical to what went off in the Democrats' heads in 2016 of these Democrats are evil. Look, they're willing to steal an election from us. Our guy won. No, no, no. We're going to fight back. We've had enough of this. So now it comes to today, a side in America where both sides don't really want to get along with each other. They will get along for now. We'll see where this goes. But neither side is super optimistic about reconciling with the other. The right hates the left because, and rightfully so, in that the Republicans realize that the Democrats want to silence their voices, and they're not unjustified in thinking that. And the left thinks that the right is evil because their policies are racist, and therefore they are racist. And not just the the elected officials. No, everyone who voted for those Republican elected officials are evil. So the right thinks the left is evil. The left think th thinks the right's evil. And that's where we are today. We're in a political climate where both sides think the other is evil. Not that the other side is wrong, but that the other side is evil. And that therein lies the problem. And that there is how we get to today. That is how we go from the George Bushes, the Bill Clintons, to the Donald Trumps, and the Joe Bidens. And with that, that concludes the first episode. Thank you guys for listening. 
Uh, just uh, some reminders. I apologize if there's any audio issues. I am in an apartment by myself. I am right next to the UT campus. So there's a lot of loud noises and people are constantly coming in and out of my complex. So I apologize if there's any background noise. I also apologize um, because I am still learning how to use my microphone. So if I sound inaudible, I apologize for that. And uh, hopefully it will all be downhill from here as I learn how to talk to myself for 40 minutes without uh, tripping over my tongue. And until then, until next time, guys, thank you very much for listening. I appreciate your support. My name is Brady Smith, and this has been Principles and Party. Until next time.